Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blessings that you pour out uh, on us every day, even in the midst of uh, challenges. And so we look to you as our rock. We look to you as our redeemer. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. For you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, next Sunday, is the first Sunday of the month. It's Communion Sunday, and we're going to do things a little differently like we did a few, probably a couple months ago. Uh, There's going to be no live stream. It's going to be worship, and uh, we're going to continue to uh, encourage um, the gifts of the Spirit to be uh, utilized uh, through prayer, through words of of prophecy and things like that. And so um, it could go an hour. It could go longer. Um, Probably not shorter with Ben leading worship because he's going to have a beautiful worship set for us all laid out. Um, (laughs) And so uh, just so you know that that next week is going to be a little bit different. And for those watching, there will be no live stream uh, next week for that purpose. We have been working through the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we kind of went through this idea where Jesus comes onto the scene. And it, well, the Beatitudes, chapter 5 in Matthew, Jesus is kind of taking the, uh, his teaching to a very personal and authoritative place. And last week, we looked at this idea where he has not come to abolish the law. He has come to fulfill the law. And I know as Christians, we like that whole abolish the law thing. We're not under the law. But that's not what Jesus is going to teach. He has come to fulfill it. He has come to meet all of the demands of the law. And because of that, by grace, through through faith, uh, through grace, by faith, faith, that whole grace, faith thing, we now have that righteousness from Christ. We do not have that righteousness in and of ourselves. It's from Christ coming, fulfilling the law, meeting all of the demands of the law. He has deemed righteous in the eyes of God, and we have that righteousness through faith in him. And that kind of launches him into this, Jesus launches him into um, this, this teaching because not being under the law anymore isn't, uh, we're not off the hook because there is a standard of living in God's kingdom. There is a requirement, dare I say, of the disciple to live in a certain way in God's kingdom. And so we're to press into the law because the law is good. The law is kingdom life. Jesus fulfilled it so we can joyfully engage it. So we can joyfully press into it. And so he's, 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 he's kind of taking this thing and he's showing us the, uh, the radical righteousness of the kingdom. 
It's beyond what, what, we, what I can get my head around if I really just spend some quiet time thinking about what goes on in my heart. Because he relaxes nothing. In fact, he takes the law from here and he goes, you heard it was said? Yeah. I tell you, it's up here. And he moves it from this place of being a, an external check mark that uh, I, I did this today, I did this today, I did this today, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I'm good. Jesus takes it and just erases all that external stuff and points to the fact that it's about the condition of a person's heart. It's the condition of what's going on inside. It's an interior, interior character. Bless you. And so Jesus is bringing this. It is kind of a new teaching that's superseding what was written, but it does not contradict the law one bit. Jesus would not contradict the law one bit. And so the first bar he's going to raise is uh, the command, don't murder. And now you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's a really good one, don't murder. I've never murdered anyone. Uh, I don't know about you all. Um, And if you're thinking that you haven't murdered, I just want to say thank you for not doing that. Um, We're we're really happy that you're here. But we're going to soon see that there's way more to this. You've heard it said, don't murder. In fact, the the text that we're going to look at, which is uh, starting in Matthew 5, 21, it's probably one of the foundational relationship texts in the Bible. Because it talks about relationship. And Jesus is going to take it from just um, preserving life, and he's going to bring it way up here to show us what righteousness in the kingdom looks like, and it's about relationship. It's not just about not killing someone. Jesus wants to know how we are relating to one another. And so, Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard it was said, to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Exodus 20, number six on the list of ten, don't murder. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the law keepers, they would have, um, they would have interpreted it in, in such a way where if you murder, that judgment is going to come on you. And they did it kind of just like we do it. Uh, there's, there's court cases and evidence is, is brought. And so the consequences or the judgment would be different um, by case to case. You have murder one. You have, oops, I murdered you by accident or killed you by accident. And all those genres in between. And so there was going to come some type of judgment which should happen. This is what Jesus is speaking of. You've heard it said a long time ago, don't murder. But Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. And not killing someone is a good thing. But how are you relating to those around you? See, if it's all just about don't kill then we've missed the point. And Jesus wants to clarify that point for us. And so he'll continue. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Jesus, once again, is breaking the rules of rabbinic teaching because he is claiming authority. But I tell you, it's not what Rabbi so-and-so said in the name of Rabbi so-and-so in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. Jesus says, I tell you. He is both personal in it and he's authoritative in it. Listen up. I tell you. Very, very strong words. That if you are angry with somebody with like, like a, a contemptuous anger, you may be in danger in, of the fires of hell. Murder, yes, bad, but you have disdain or hatred or anger. I mean, like in your heart, like this, this scornful, I don't like that person attitude. You're in danger. Your heart's in danger. It's the attitude that Jesus is going after. Now, I, I think we have to be clear here that Jesus is not saying that all anger is always bad in all situations for all people. Jesus himself became angry. He went into the temple, John chapter 2. He tips tables. He is angry with the people that they've turned God's house into a debt of robbers. He makes a whip. Now, I would like to think that Jesus being a carpenter, he was a little jacked, you know, and, 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 and had some muscle mass. And, and I, I mean, some would say, well, he just threatened with the whip. I'm going to say he used it just because I think Jesus had a little bit more edge than we give him grace, uh, give him, uh, you know, give him credit for. Um, but he was angry to the point of physical uh, manifestation of his anger. He was angry with um, the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, he called them blind fools. In Mark chapter, in Mark chapter 3, um, I'm sorry, the Pharisees was in Matthew chapter 23. Mark chapter 3, he gets angry at those, those leaders who are, who are harassing him because he's healed on the Sabbath. And so if you read the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark is one of my favorite gospels because, well, there's only four. But anyway, um, it's one of my favorite because it, it, it presents Jesus as having a little bit of an edge. He's not peace sign product in his hair, Jesus, in the gospel of Mark. In fact, the disciples, they, they have questions for him, but it says that they're afraid to ask him. So there was, at times, within Jesus, an, an, an anger. But he never became angry at personal insults personal wrong. Sin, injustice, yep, he was on it. But when it came directed at him personally, Jesus never responded back in anger. He never responded with a reaction. Uh, Peter would write about him. He would say this, but when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so there is a anger that can honor God. And then there's an anger that will dishonor God. And that's the anger that Jesus is speaking of. That selfish, it's about me, I've been wronged. I've lost something. You've hurt my feelings. Self-righteous, unrighteous anger. Because let's face it, I, 
the majority of the time when we are wronged, we can find it very easy to get angry with that person. It doesn't take much. All it takes is that one little conversation in your head with that person that never has taken place. And in your head, you have kind of crafted their response, which is very insulting to you in your head. And anger has welled up. And it had, nothing has ever happened yet. You haven't confronted the person. We're quick to become angry, frustrated. Well, but yet Christians don't get angry. We get frustrated. Sounds much more Christian. When we see sin or injustice, there seems to be a slower reaction time, especially if it's something that's kind of uh, you're not passionate about or you've never really considered thinking through. And so Jesus is talking about a personal anger that somebody has wronged you. Somebody has taken something from you. Somebody has frustrated you. You know, like like that, that, that person who is driving in front of you on the way to church this morning too slow, and you had to give them sign language to make sure that they understood your anger. Jesus is going to use some words of his day, raka. It's an Aramaic phrase or word. It's it's an insult. It's to call someone empty-headed. And today I came up with some words that we would use today. Numbskull, nitwit. Blockhead, bonehead, my favorite, brainless idiot. You get the point? Raka. But understand there's cultural implications that are happening here. Because when you insulted someone in this culture, when you use that term, Raka, you, you bonehead, you devalued them. That was your goal, to devalue them as a person, as a human being, to make them worthless. They're not even worth sneezing on. And so it's not just speaking these words. It's the cultural perspective of you just have a contemptuous attitude towards this person, and you want to devalue them with your words because you believe they're an idiot. You believe they're a rocker, empty-headed. And then he talks about the term fool, morose in the Greek. It's where we get the R word moron from. And it's not so much an intellectual attack, like this person is intellectually uh, not on par with me. But it is, um, it's an insult speaking to the moral condition of a person. The Bible uses it to refer to somebody who um, denies the existence of God or or will not follow God. Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, uh, the psalmist writes that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so it's it's really not about an intellectual um, uh, intellectual insult. It's more of a, you're, you're going after the person's heart. And so these words, fool, rakab, they are malicious, they are meant to hurt, and they are from the heart, and Jesus is condemning it all, and all of its manifestations, animosity, malice, hostility, anger, he's just speaking to it all. Remember, though, he is getting to the heart of our matter, and not just to the outside. And so it's not just about shedding someone's blood. See, it runs 
much, much deeper than that. We are guilty enough to receive punishment by becoming angry with people. Truth be told, in that case, we're all murderers at one point or another. Murder in mind, murder in heart. And in the eyes of God, it's the same as taking life. This should bring us to a place of (laughs) really understanding that our only hope, our only hope is Jesus Christ, the one who has fulfilled the law, the one who has met the demands of the law, and the one who has clothed us in his righteousness. Because you see, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's easy for us Christians to see ourselves as, ha- as having some spiritual superiority. Like, I'm in, you're out. And we like to correct, and we like to, sometimes we even like to play Holy Spirit. And we may call a person a nitwit or an idiot. Because they just don't seem to understand what we obviously understand. They don't seem to get what we obviously are trying to get them to get. And so how can they be so foolish not to understand this? As the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the clothing of the righteousness of Christ, we have to do away with that attitude. It's not of the church. I mean, if there's anybody walking on this planet who knows the, um, who understands what really lies in the human heart and the human nature, if there are any people walking around who really know what's inside, it should be the Christian. It should be the one that's been forgiven. It should be the one that was faced with that darkness of heart and was illuminated with the light of Christ. We should know. Not because we're better, because we just know. We don't get to devalue a person. No person. In the eyes of God, there is not a person that walks this planet yesterday, today, or tomorrow that is worthless in his eyes. Not one. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus because every human being has intrinsic value. And I got to tell you that as I watch the news, um, I wrestle with that. I'm going to be honest. I, I, there's a tension in me that goes, that person, he just sucker punched a 70-year-old guy. Really? That person? Yeah, that person. Jesus died for that kid. And so my heart, even in those situations... It's, it's, it doesn't make it correct because uh, sometimes I think that we like to label, label our, right, our anger righteous, but it's far from it. 
I cannot hide behind God's grace and allow frustration, anger, animosity, hatred well up inside me. Grace has been given to me so that I can honestly, from the heart, value all God's creation, not just the ones that I'm comfortable around. And so words like fool, blockhead, rocker, idiot. These are a cancer to the, to the follower of Jesus' heart. It's a sickness. It's an illness. Our words should be an encouragement to others. Even in their sin, we should encourage them out of their sin, not condemn them in it. I'm not talking about condoning. I'm talking about just remembering that we were once in darkness and now we are light in the kingdom because of Christ. And they too may be walking in darkness, but Christ's light is for them also. And so it's good to do some soul searching in this. Like, am I living, am I allowing the righteousness of Christ to produce in me a love for all people and, and to, uh, to burn away the, the anger and the hostility that I may have due to uh, certain groups? Or am I allowing the Spirit's work in me like that? Or am I living a life that just runs around, talks, walks around murmuring, what an idiot. Jesus is concerned about our hearts and our hearts in relationship with each other. He's so concerned that we maintain healthy relationships that he is going to give us two examples on kind of what it looks like. He doesn't want us to harbor uh, evil intent. He knows the damage it does. And so he's just going to throw a couple examples out there for, for us to chew on a little bit. Hmm. I need a 23, but I'll just go to Matthew myself. He says this in verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. It's a pretty powerful picture that Jesus is, is kind of painting here. You think of a, a, a guy coming to the temple. He's, he walks into the gates. He walks through all the outer courts. He gets to some of the inner courts. He, can, he brings his offering to the furthest he can go where the priest will take it and go into the priestly quarters and offer this offering for him. But he gets there and he remembers that a brother or a sister has something against him. Jesus says, leave your offering and go. Go fix what's broken. 
Jesus is driving home the point that it's more important for you to be reconciled with your brother, with your sister, than it is just to do the external trappings of, of worship and sacrifice. Jesus is getting to the heart. He's, it's almost a, uh, worship almost becomes a sham if there's some offense that between you and a brother or a sister that you haven't taken care of, that you haven't made rights. We have, uh, we have become, I, I, at least I have become, uh, an expert in avoiding or ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this context. It's much easier just to put it aside and ignore it. You're never going to talk to them again, right? Who cares? But Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He's getting to the matters of our heart. And so... The, the traditions that we have and, and go into that Bible study and attending church. I mean, these are all really important things, believe me. But it's not going to ever clear our conscience. It's never going to make right the relationship that's been broken. And so we're called to put things right. You know, sometimes, if you ever notice that uh, you go through these seasons of where your prayer just doesn't seem to it seems to like get stuck on the ceiling or, or it's just, there's just this hollowness to your prayer. I was reminded this week to think then, are there relationships that you, Dennis, need to fix? Are there relationships that need my attention? The psalmist writes in Psalm 66, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so is there something in my heart that's keeping me from fellowship with God? Maybe it's a, maybe I've offended. Maybe I have been offended. These things need to be taken care of. Jesus is going to give us another example. Let's see if I put the right text in this one. Nope. Aha. He goes on to say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Whatever you can do to make amends, go make amends. And do it as quickly as possible. Because if we don't, the process can catch up with us. And here, Jesus kind of lays out this legal process. But the process of offense is, is ugly. And if personal conflicts can be dealt with quickly and straightforward... I'm under the firm conviction that reconciliation can take place much more fully and much, quick, much quicker. But sometimes, we let, if, if we let these things fester, hurt becomes anger, anger becomes bitterness, and bitterness is the bait of Satan for our souls. John Brevere, great book, The Bait of Satan. And so these, uh, these words from Jesus are... Uh, they're, they're profound. He is raising the bar. Oh, you heard it said, don't murder. Great. 
Most of you in here I can see aren't murderers. But I tell you, call your brother a fool. Call him a nitwit. From the heart. Mm-mm-mm. And Jesus is starting to unpack for us kingdom righteousness. A righteousness that we will never be able to obtain on our own. Jesus had to come to fulfill the law, meet all the demands of the law, and by grace through faith, we have been gifted this righteousness. And because we have been gifted the righteousness of Christ, when we receive that righteousness, along with a good, healthy dose of the Holy Spirit, we are not only able to not shed blood, But we have been given a righteousness where things like anger, frustration, and hostility are things of the past. Jesus is clear that's by the grace of God and by God's grace only, only that contempt and, and, and the, 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 that darkness in our heart and the language that it produces and the actions that it produces towards others. These are not only uh, supposed to be part our, of our lives any longer, but that we are to foster on the other side of this healthy kingdom relationships, that we would be patient with one another, that we would actually love each other. Not just with word, but with, with deed. And, and the scripture talks in plenty of places about that. Jesus, he, he puts such emphasis on the state of our heart within the context of our, our relationships. He tells us, it's better that you just don't go worship me and go fix this. Go fix this. And I can, I can see in some of your faces, I'm not going to call you out, that this might have kind of hit a nerve somewhere. So there's work to be done. I have work to do. You have work to do. We have work to do. But we have been empowered with the righteousness of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can do it. We can live into kingdom righteousness. Imagine a world where nobody got frustrated with each other. I can't. <laughs> but I can imagine a church. I can imagine a community. I can imagine a neighborhood. I can imagine a town. I can imagine a state. Maybe I can imagine a world. But it takes each and every one of us that we would Submit to Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord. Lord is a bigger deal, or a harder deal for us. Again, everybody loves to be saved, but Lord means I live for him. He isn't alive for me. I live for him. Thank you, Jesus for your righteousness being poured out, that we can live into your word with all assurance and authority. Thank you, you love us enough that you love us loving each other. 
And I pray that through your spirit, may healing come to all who hear my voice this morning. May this, and may we take the steps of reconciliation and healing. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you guys. We'll see you next week for a little bit of a change up on our service. Peace.